0: Welcome. I'm so glad that you came to join us today. I'm excited for everybody joining us online. Once again, sometimes it it feels like we're distant, but we're really doing life together in every way that we possibly can. Small groups are still going strong until the semester ends, and uh, things are happening. If you haven't noticed, a lot of uh, Halloween decorations have come down, and I'm starting to see a lot of Christmas decorations, which means Actually, Christmas decorations have already been going up for a while, but it means (laughs) that the holidays are here, ready or not. So we got a lot of things prepared for you for the holidays. We're going to have a lot of, as you know, we're going to have a lot of fun, but we're also going to do a lot of good. We're also going to use our influence and use the, the platform that God's given us in this city, not here, but in this city to help people and to serve our community, to serve our families, to serve Uh, our neighbors and uh, we want you guys to be a part of that as it unfolds through that throughout the holidays. I am excited to be in church. Just turn to somebody next to you and say you look good. Sometimes people just need a they just need a compliment. How about the person on the other side? Give them a compliment as well. (laughs) All right, all right. So ready or not the holidays are upon us. I wanted to give you a couple of uh A couple of reminders up on the screen, some things I saw this week. The first is that uh, whether you're ready for it or not, things are upon us. And the holidays, this is what they look like, despite what we may want them to look like. But this is me thinking about Thanksgiving. If you're imagining mountains of food, isn't it funny how when we start to think about holidays, boom, these are the things that we think about. Also, maybe you're thinking about deals, Because deals are coming as well. So Black Friday, when people trample others for cheap goods, mere hours after being thankful for what they already have. (laughs) It's amazing how we take something, we can take something beautiful and then make it into something it was never meant to be. And finally, the holidays always are about uh, Christmas music before Thanksgiving, maybe. No thank you. But ultimately, when I saw this this week, I thought, you know what the holidays really represents? It represents grumpy people everywhere. It represents grumpy people online, grumpy people at church, grumpy people in, at your at your next door neighbors. Everywhere we go, at, at the grocery store, and our uh, purpose, our my heart, my hopefully the goal of the church is to get to the get to the base of why, get to the base of. Uh, what God wants for us in the holidays, and that's not just to celebrate uh, a Christmas tree, or I've already had the conversations with my kids about they want to chop down a tree this year. And I said, don't you remember the last time that we chopped down a tree? It was not as fun as you think it will be. It was a, uh, it was a whole lot of work, and so <laughs> while, while it definitely represents work, I want to share some really cool stuff with you as we start a brand new series this week we're going to look at blessed attitudes and I think more than anything moving into this series my uh, I hope to capture the fact that so often Christmas Thanksgiving even though they represent love and they represent thanksgiving or giving thanks they turn into completely different things and when we're coming out of the turmoil and the struggle and the strife and the storm that we've just come through It it feels almost impossible to have a good attitude or what I hope to, I hope we will all reach for, and that's a God attitude. So that requires that we do a few things and we're going to kind of stay focused over the next few weeks, over the next four or five weeks. We're going to stay, we're going to start and we're going to move in and out of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to, we're going to kind of take some verse by verse and at some point we'll land on the Beatitudes, which is actually the beginning or the preamble to one of the greatest sermons ever preached, and we will get to those. But before we get to that, I want to kind of, I want to start at the end and kind of work our way back because I want to get to the heart of things. I want to get to the very core of where our attitudes start, not just understanding what it means uh, to have, uh, to be poor in spirit, or what it means to mourn, or what it means to to be a peacemaker. There are so many things that we should choose over other things, and we're going to, we're gonna. Filter through those things, but I want us to start where I think the starting point is so Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, although the Sermon on the Mount is unpacked and it's given in pieces in some of the other uh, some of the other gospels so if you're if you have never read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all tell the same story of jesus of, of how he arrived and Assembled the disciples and then began to preach and started his ministry and then was arrested and crucified and rose again. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John each tell that story from a different person's perspective. And I don't know what your favorite may be. Maybe you need to read all four of them to to kind of see the different perspectives, but each of them resonates with a different um, focus. And so I want us to start in Matthew. And we're going to look at some pieces and then we're going to jump around just a little bit. But in the entire sermon of the Sermon on the Mount, if we could boil it down into one idea without going into specifics, just saying, what is this sermon about? I would say that we could categorize the Sermon on the Mount as a counter-cultural message saying, Jesus showed up and then began to tell people, hey, you have heard. In fact, in the first chapter, Matthew chapter 5 of this sermon, Jesus says, I think five or six times he says, you have heard this thing, but that's not it. It's this. You have heard that you should do this, but no, 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 no. You should do this. Even the things that they had been taught in church, even things that they had grown up with, like this is what God wants you to do. Jesus shows them, you have heard that this is the way you should act, but you should act this way. If you're getting real with yourself. So, I think when we talk about attitudes and we talk about the heart of the church, the heart of a Christian, the heart of God, then we have to get really serious about how and why we're doing the things that we're doing. What's what's the the rule or the standard or the filter by which we judge how we act and decide how we're going to do things? And that, one word that kind of rounds all that out is culture. What's the culture of the church? I think a lot of churches have missed the culture that God wants us to have or a heavenly culture. So as we move through the next few weeks, my hope is, would you just tune your heart into God? What's the culture that you want me to have? How do you want me to see the rest of the world? How do you want me to treat people? How do you want me to think? How do you want me to respond to things? Because if we got the wrong heart, then something comes at us. We filter it and then it comes back out as something very unlike it should be. And I think that's one of the reasons that the church has uh, such a bad reputation. It has been marketed so poorly that when you ask an unsaved person, or even a lot of Christians, when you ask them what the church is about, they'll uh, they'll say an answer that is nothing like God wants the church to be. A lot of people who say, well, I love God, but I don't. Love the church. That should, this should be the exact. It should be the opposite. That people should learn who God is from the church. And yet somehow instinctively, there are so many people who they believe there's a God. They believe there's a loving God, but they know the church has gotten it very wrong. And so Jesus addresses all of those things in this one sermon. So I want us to look and a couple of them. And I want us to look at how he, he is telling them that your culture is wrong. And we can take that same message today. We'll start in Matthew chapter 6, which is right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, do not store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them. And where thieves break in and steal them. So just stop right there. And when I say the word treasures, I don't want you to think about money. I want you to think about values. Because when we talk about cultures, that's really what we're, that's what we're uh, specifically addressing is the values of our culture. Like what are the things that we value? And in the last series, how many of you guys came to Not Today Satan and, and, and came to either one or maybe all five of those? Okay. What did we talk about the entire time? We talked about there's a, a seen world and an unseen world. We talked about the spiritual world and the physical world, the stuff that is temporal, and the stuff that is eternal. So when Jesus talks about do not store for yourself treasures here on earth, he's specifically telling them right here in the seen world, that's not where your values should be. And he goes on and he says, store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Whoever, Wherever your treasure is, they're the desires of your heart. Everybody say Heart. There to the desires of your heart will be also. So Jesus is drawing a very, we use this verse so often for taking an offering. And I'm telling you, I'm not taking an offering. I'm showing you that when Jesus says that this is where your value is, wherever the things you value are, that's where your heart is. This entire message, whether I use the word uh, values or culture or heart, we're talking about what, where is the weight of my value held? Because if I value uh, one thing over another, that's the choice I'll make. That's the, that's the filter by which I live my life. Okay, so you have this unseen and you have the seen world. And I think when it comes to the problems that every one of us can look at, you can look out at the news, you can look out at Facebook, at social media, and you can say, we got a real problem here. In fact, I have conversation after conversation over and over and over. People tell me, Pastor Sean, we have a problem. Don't you see the problem? Yes, I see the problem. And we can argue over what, where the problem stems from, but I don't think we can argue about where the solution comes from. And so I want to talk about the solution to our cultural problem problem because I don't think we just have a political problem. I don't think we just have an economic problem. I don't think we just have a health problem in the world with a global pandemic. I think we, we have been pushed towards a cultural problem. And the cultural solution to that problem, we, sh- we can all find together. If our solution is based in this seen world. Like, hey, let's just march on Washington and let's just make them make some laws to fix the problem. Laws aren't going to fix the problem. Laws are not the solution to the problem because you can't legislate morality. You can't make people love each other. You can't make people love God, but the, 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 the solution to problem, when we embrace the values that Jesus gave us to love God and love people, that fixes so many of the problems, and that can't be spread by forcing people to do those things. And so the solution starts not with legislation, not with, let's have a big march downtown and get everybody and city council to speak and have a, have a prayer service, and all of those things are great, but let me just say that the real cultural solution starts right here to any of the cultural problems in our society. It starts in my heart and in your heart. We have a problem. It has to be fixed in your heart and my heart. Then the church can move into a new culture. And then our families, our neighborhoods, are are y'all following me? Then we have this trickle effect that goes up or down or however you want, whichever way you want to look at it, that now we're starting to solve the cultural problems here and then in my family and then in our community, in our churches in our cities, in our state, and in our country, and then in the world, you can't point at the world and say you're wrong. Change. You can't point at your neighbor and your neighbor and say you're wrong. Change. No, our culture can change other people because it's contagious. If we get it right, in fact, culture—even bad culture—is contagious. Y'all might be ready for me to go back to pointing at the devil. <laughs> can we go back to that last series, Pastor Sean? I don't like to look right here. <laughs> so we're going to look at the heart because that's where the attitude starts. You can wake up every day and say, I don't like how I've been feeling. And you can start looking for other channels to listen to. Well, I'll feel better if I listen to this or I'll feel better if I, if I have a different diet or if I, have a, uh, if I stop hanging around these, but that's all good stuff. But if you'll change Your heart. And everything else changes around it. So let's look at some scriptures in Matthew chapter 7. We'll go close to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 7 and we're going to address the things of the heart. So Matthew 7, 1, judge not that you be not judged. We're going to move through this pretty quick. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What is this verse about? Anybody? says it four times. Judgment. All right. Bingo. You get a check mark. Gold star. Judgment. So he says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce it will be judged. And then he talks about the measurement of it. So Jesus is addressing attitude. He's dressing the heart because that's where we judge from. And so I want to look at another Passage of scripture, if we jump over to one of the other gospels, they tell the same story. And if you notice, he says, Judge not that you be not judged. And then at the end, he says, With what measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. So he's talking about however you measure out of your heart, that's how it's going to be measured. You're going to look at people, you're going to judge them. This other passage is the same context. And I'm going to prove it to you. We're going to jump to Luke, Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Y'all read this first part with me. Judge not. And you will not be judged. What's that about? Judgment. Judgment. Who's sitting right here? (laughs) All right. It's about judgment. But right, and then he he adds something right in the middle. He hears something or remembers something or is prompted to put something. He says, condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure. Then he's talking about the measure again. Measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, now we're back to the same passage from Matthew again, right? So he starts with judgment, ends with measure. For with the same measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. But he adds a whole lot more. He talks about condemnation, which is also from the heart. He talks about the different elements of forgiving and being forgiven. Again, it comes out of the heart. Then he talks about giving, and let me just say that so often I heard this vo- this this passage. I heard this, this in, entire scripture used for, hey, we're going to take an offering. If you give, it'll be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, and poured into your lap. So basically, if you give a big offering, that much more will be multiplied, and we used all kinds. I, I heard all kinds of stories about how much more God would give me if I gave. There's a problem with that entire conversation in that we're not talking about money he never once mentions money he says judgment in the heart condemnation in the heart forgiveness in the heart giving in the heart he didn't say giving money he said having the ability to give or if i give and what happens whenever we make this about money Even though it works for money, when it's only about money, we're excluding every other thing, every other element of giving from our hearts. And we end up selfish and we end up looking at each other demanding our way and we end up demanding our right to be right. We end up wanting what's mine or wanting to stand up on the right side of things, and I can stand up on my pedestal and say, you know, what? hey, I'm right on this. And so if we make things like giving and generosity, if we make those about money, then we're actually cutting out a big chunk of the value of saying, I need to have a giving heart. I need to have generosity in my heart, not just because I need to give money or give stuff to people or things or We're making this massive idea, this concept, this fundamental idea. We're boiling it down to just money. And that's a problem. Because when Jesus says where your treasure is, the focus is not the treasure. The focus is the heart. So I will just say this, that it does work with money. It works... I've heard a lot of people say, "Well, that pastor just wants my money, or God just wants my money." So I'm not going to church. <laughs> Let me say this: I heard a pastor one time say that God does want your money, and there's a string connected to a string connected from your heart to your wallet. And so, if he gets your money, he's got your heart. And yet we we like to cut that part out of the conversation. In fact, it's almost taboo to talk about money at church. It's almost this. Oh, you can't talk about money in polite society. Let me tell you something. It's not about the money. It's about our hearts. It's about how I think and how I react and the filter by which I look at the rest of the world. If you put your treasure or the things you value, you check on those things. You're invested in those things. I know uh, my son, not too long ago, got really interested in... uh, investing with the Robinhood app and a few other investing in this and investing in this and every day going to check. Why? Because he, he put his treasure there. It was valuable to him. He put a little bit of money there. All of a sudden, I'm in, my heart is in this. I got to go when I wake up in the morning, Robinhood, heart there because I put my treasure there. And so the most valuable piece is not the money. The most valuable thing is where is your heart? So whatever is coming out of your heart is being sown and reaped. If it's judgment, you're sowing judgment. If it's condemnation, you're sowing condemnation and you're reaping it back as well. If you're being a giving person, then you're receiving that back as well. So if you look at the life around you, if you look at the culture around you and look at the the, the social media posts that surround you and you say, oh, that's toxic. Our first, our first thing we should be looking at, am I, am I getting that back because I sowed that? Am I getting toxic behavior pointed at me because that's what I sowed? Am I receiving judgment? Am I, rece- am I not receiving generosity because I haven't been generous? Am I, not receive- am I being condemned because that's what I sowed? So often we take a thing like sowing and reaping. A thing that if you've grown up in church, you've heard those terms. You know that, that concept, that law. It's a spiritual law that affects way more than just money. So I want us to look at a few things today. We're a little bit off today. We have, a, we have no, no screens. <laughs> we had a malfunction this morning. And our tech team was like on it. They were running around solving problems and fixing things. You guys did an awesome job. But now today we get to go back to good old-fashioned paper. Four things that we need to do in our hearts. Four things that we need to do to make sure that our hearts and our values and and the culture that's in us is coming out right. So we'll start most of what we're going to look at today to. Is found in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 15. And I want you to notice how it talks about heart and how it talks about the things that we've already addressed. So he says, if there's a man, if there's among you a poor man of your brethren with, within any of the gates of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart. Everybody say Heart. You shall not harden your heart nor shut your hand from your poor brother. So notice he's talking about a poor brother, someone who's in need, and, he, and he's in your land, in your sphere of influence. And he says, Willingly, our will comes right out of our heart. Willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever he needs. So the first thing I want you to notice, and the first thing that you'll write down in your notes, is that we need to deal with a selfish heart. When we have a brother that is in need, or whenever we recognize a need that exists in, within our land, within our circle, the selfishness in us keeps us from willingly giving him what he needs or helping. And so we have to address, number one, our heart. So he goes on, he says, beware lest there be a what? A wicked thought in your heart, saying the seventh year, the year of release is at hand, and your eye be evil against your brother. So now we went from talking about giving to directly talking about the heart, your the, the wickedness in your heart, and that your I be evil against your poor brother and you give him nothing and he cry out to the Lord against you and then it becomes sin among you. Can I tell you that we're not talking about whether or not you give a dollar to the guy on the corner or whether or not you help your neighbor whenever he or she is in need. We're talking about what your heart looks like and when you see a need, what do you, what are you thinking about? He says, do you, what do you, He he speaks directly, not just what you do, but what do you think in your heart whenever you see it? When you recognize a problem, you see your brother, what's the thought that comes into your head? Because it's coming right out of your heart. We're going to see a lot of needs this holiday. And where do our hearts turn? Because if we've been absorbing And the issues that every we can get pretty toxic. Just be on Black Friday or make sure your camera is sideways so everybody will be able to see what's happening. <laughs> we get real interested whenever that toxic behavior starts coming out because we kind of we don't like it. Point our It's easy to get caught up. It's easy to get caught in it. So the scripture is referring to the economic structure where Jesus says every, where God told the children of Israel every seven years will we'll have a year of return. So that if anyone owes you money at, at the seventh year, you got to cancel their debt. If you're going to lend on the seventh year, you can't think, well, I'm going to lend them money. And then at the, at, the, at the point in time, I have to forgive all their debt. I'm going to lose all my money. He says, we would think that, well, that's just smart business sense. He's saying the culture of heaven is not that that you should be more concerned with your brother than you are with the money or than you are with the land or with the or, or with the lending that our heart should be set our value should be set our culture should be set on the person and loving them and that is hard because now you're affecting my money now you're messing me up so why did God create giving why did God why does address giving in our heart. It's not because God needs your money, right? It's not because God's trying to build mansions in heaven and He needs all of our cash. It's not even because the church needs our money. Because God has everything that He needs. God will supply one way or the other for us to, whether or not money is given in the offering, we are going to continue to go where God called us to go. What God created giving for is because giving fixes my heart. If I can address those issues inside my own heart, you'll never be happy if you're selfish and greedy. And so he's saying, pay attention to what's in your heart. Pay attention to what you're willingly doing. So giving works selfishness and greed right out of our hearts. Giving works selfishness and greed right out of our hearts. The second thing that we need to look at besides working and dealing with the selfishness is we need to deal with a grieving heart. So we're going to jump back to Deuteronomy and you can write down grieving in your notes. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 10, you shall surely give to him. He's talking about a poor man in your land and your heart should not be grieved. Now, why would my heart grieve? How, how does grieved, if we're going to associate those money and grieving, how would those two things work? No, he's not even talking about money. He's talking about your heart grieving when you give to him, because for this thing, the Lord, your God will bless you. If you can, if you can give out of your heart and not grieve, then you'll be blessed in all of your works and in all to which you put your hand. In other words, my, my translation is this, that if you will change your heart and if you have the right attitude in your heart, I'm going to bless everything you do. What does that look like? That means my family, my kids, my, my business, my money, my, my future, my relationships, my ministry. It's the exact opposite of carrying around this toxic attitude that I wake up in the morning and just feel like, man, I just feel Gross. But he says that changes whenever you change the attitude of your heart, when all of a sudden you start being a giving person. That's what the dream team exists for, to live. We have the shirts to say, I was born for this, to serve God, to serve people, to give my life, to change someone else's world, to make a difference, not just to make my bank account bigger or to make me uh, have better things around me so that my life will feel better. I feel better if on the inside of me I'm better. And I get better by giving. I get better by being generous and working the grieving out of my heart. Selfishness attacks before we give. Like, hmm, I think those thoughts that say, I, I'm not going to do that. But once I've decided, you know what, I think I do need to do that. And then I help someone or I take my time and I spend the day. No, I don't really have a day to spend helping, but I'm going to show up and I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you move. I'm going to help you. Uh, let's sit down and work out. I- I'm going to help you. Pull out your pen. Let's, let's, let's think about this. Work it out on paper. How are we going to fix this? Or maybe spending an hour or two with someone that they are desperately in need and they're struggling in their marriage and and you know you have some ideas that can help them, but you just don't want to spend the time. And so finally we say, you know what, I really need to do this. Let's take the time. And then after we've done it, you get up from that coffee break or you get up from that lunch or you get up from the table and you think, man, I just spent, I just lost three hours. Now we're grieving in our heart because I just spent something I didn't, I shouldn't have. So selfishness attacks before we give and grieving attacks after we we'll give. And if we'll eliminate those things from our heart, now we're living in a place where we're making a difference in the world. In fact, I was thinking about sitting down after this service. I think I, I need some cash. I need probably some money that, that I can go out to eat after service. <laughs> Okay, wow, $100, (laughs) that'll work. You notice that uh, Susan ran up and gave this to me, and you're not grieving giving this to me, right? Why do y'all think she gave this to me? It's because I gave it to her right before service, since I said, (laughs) give me this money during the service so she's not grieving why because it wasn't her money it's my money and so there's a big change of heart that comes whenever if I feel like I'm giving God something that's already his I don't grieve I'm not selfish about it if I give God time that's already his if I value the things in my life that God wants me to value because he made them now, I don't, there's not a chance I'm grieving. Until I start thinking, I don't think this probably happened to you. You're sitting over there thinking, this, this is my money now. And then when we have to part with it, we have to part with the, it's like being willing to forgive someone. We've been given so much forgiveness. And then he says, I want you to take that forgiveness and give it to other people. It's when we've held on to it. No, no, no. That's my forgiveness. I ain't giving it to nobody. Nobody else says they don't deserve it. Wait a second. Which of us deserves forgiveness? Not one. We only have forgiveness because he gave it to us. We only have those things because he gave them to us. So number three, not only do we have to deal with the things in our heart that shouldn't be there, but we need to develop some things that may not be there. So two things real quick. The first one is, Uh, Number three, develop a generous heart. Deal with a selfish heart, deal with a grieving heart, and develop a generous heart. So our our verse in Deuteronomy goes on to read, and you shall supply him, how? Liberally, from your flock, from your threshing floor, and from your winepress. From what the Lord your God has blessed you with, you shall give to him. Wow, we've got to get to the point where when God gives to us, then we don't have a problem giving it away again. Whether it's love, so often God unconditionally loves us, and yet we have this incredible ability to receive the love, but then we just won't give it back away. This, or we'll give it away, but it's conditional. I think I can love you as long as, <laughs> you stay lovable. Or I'm willing to give you a chance and love you long enough to see if you'll change. <laughs> but there's a time limit on it. And so Jesus is addressing all of these issues in the Sermon on the Mount. He's addressing them not just in the beatitudes, but as again and again and again he says You've heard that you should love your neighbor, that you should hate those who hurt you or curse you or your enemies. But that's not what you should do. Here we go. For God so loved the world that he gave. And so God is generous. When it says God so loved us that he gave, he wasn't giving in an offering because the pastor said it's time to give. He sent his son to die for an ungrateful rejecting people. He said, I'm going to love him anyway. And that's the love that he called us to. He says, I want you to be generous like I am generous. I want you to have a heart that gives forgiveness not condemnation. Not judgment. And finally, develop, final point, develop a, gr- a grateful heart. Not just because Thanksgiving's coming. I l- grew up, um, those of you who know my story, I don't have time to tell the whole thing, but I grew up and our family didn't have much. My parents worked hard to make sure that we never missed meals. Meals. And we had a roof over our heads, but we didn't have any extra stuff. Most of the time, if we wanted to do extra stuff, the answer was no. Not until I got a job. Did I ever have money in my pocket? And so, somehow, by the grace of God, I grew up in a, in a church in my teen years. I, I got connected with a church that was very full of generous people. Full of people who... We're living for God, and everything that we've been talking about. They were just givers. Not they didn't just give cash to me, or that's not what I saw. But one, one time I, I saw someone give over a million dollars to the church. One time I saw it just blew my mind that someone could have that much money and just give it to the church. One time I saw uh, a guy give a pastor a $40,000 Rolex, and then I saw him give it to somebody else. And I thought, like, my brain was exploding. (laughs) Like, this is not how people act. I've never seen anyone just give. Like, not expecting anything in return. I've seen people give cars away. I've seen people give houses away. And I thought, something happened in me that not just made my brain explode, but, like, shocked my heart. It changed me watching them. And, and not just because I wasn't receive. I didn't never receive a million dollars. I didn't receive a $40,000 watch. But I saw someone give out of their need and still not expect anything back. Someone did give me a car one time and it just rocked me. And I decided then and there, I'm going to be the kind of person that is generous. I was so grateful. My heart was like, like <laughs> the paddles, you know, just it shocked me so much that I decided it woke me up. I'm going to be a giver. I, I want to be able to, when someone needs something, they need my time. I'm going. They when, And so Angela and I have tried to embrace that with every, in fact, we've given away four cars and I'm not telling you that just so that you can think I'm a great guy. It's not because of me. But I've been put into a position where I thought, God, if if you will give me an opportunity to give away, show me who I need to give something to, give my time to. And I've tried to use my life and pour out my life with nothing expected in return. And God always blesses us. And I'm not telling you this so that you will give so that you can get, because that's not the reason that we give. I'm telling you all these things because if we want to fix our culture, if we want to fix the heart of the church, and if we want to fix our families and our land. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for sending your son to die for me and to give me a fresh start. Live in my life today. Give me a new spirit. Forgive me of my sins. Make me whole. In Jesus' name, amen 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 can you put your hands together and let's say a great big welcome to everybody who said that prayer and those who are online pastor susan's coming the band is going to join us on stage so that we can close and worship i love you guys and i appreciate you being here looking forward to doing thanksgiving and christmas with you
1: all right i love that we live in abundance amen we already live in abundance of blessings, so learning to have a grateful heart. And I'm super excited to go into the holiday season because we have amazing things coming our way where we can go and we can give and we can be to our community. Amen? Yes, that's what it's all about. If you said that prayer today, we are so glad that you invited Jesus into your heart. Your journey starts new today. Special right outside that door just a little book to help you along with your journey Uh, but we are here for you we are praying for you and we are along for that journey with you we we've got you amen relate church that's what we do for our people we're going to go into our time of giving there are ways to just remember uses that in ways that you could never imagine we're changing the kingdom I'm going to invite you all to stand. I'm going to pray over the offering, and let's continue to worship. Lord, we give you our tithes. We give you our offerings, Father, for you to do what only you can do with them, Lord God. Touch our hearts. Give us a blessed spirit, Father, and a grateful heart, and we give it all back to you. In Jesus' name.